Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by talking to somebody who's helped shape the city or been inspired by the city. This week I'm joined by Colin Gibbons, factory records enthusiast and collector. Colin described how his journey started to collecting everything Manchester Factory Records ever produced. I didn't realise at the time, Clint, that it was factory. It got to about 83. All of a sudden, most of these records I've got in my collection with bands on Factory Records. And he'll tell us about how a chance meeting with Doreen Curtis, mother of Ian Curtis, led to a friendship which changed his life. She said, come in for a cup of tea. We sat there and for the next couple of hours, we just talked about Ian Curtis and she spoke about her son. Gives a great pleasure to welcome to Humans Excess Manchester a man who came to my attention a few years ago. I heard about him uh, on this quest to try and locate every single release ever on the Factory Records label. And because 2019 marks the 40th anniversary of the first release on Factory, we thought we'd get him in. His name's Colin Gibbons. Welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester. 
Thank you very much, Clint. Well, let's start at the beginning. We're going to talk about your massively unique collection. You've got everything that ever came out on Factory and other stuff as well. In fact, you've brought it all into the studio. I'm surrounded by all sorts of stuff here, which we'll talk about. Let's go back, first of all, to where you were born, when you were born. Well, basically, I'm from a hamlet in Manchester called Blakely. We know it as M9. Crumsall Hospital, that's where I was born. What year? 67, June. You're looking good, man. <laughs> <laughs> And how did you do it at school? Were you scholarly? Were you a bit no, a, not at all. Were, no, you, were no. you a roughneck? No, uh, not, not so much a roughneck. I, I just <laughs> tried to keep my feet on the ground because I was quite a small kid. Yeah. And uh, subsequently, when we went into secondary school, everyone had a pecking order and you knew where you were. Yeah. But I found out pretty soon that music was a way to get around. We're talking about Man United and Man City as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you picked a team and you had that moment where somebody said to you, you know, like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or Joy Division or the Buzzcocks, you you found some connection with somebody yeah. and it might move on to a conversation with a smoke behind the gym. What was the stuff that you was into when you were a kid then? So in your, in your primary school years, what music were you around then? Uh, I, f- I think a lot of the primary school years stuff was basically be my older peers, my older cousin, uh, my cousin Jane, for instance, she was into the faces and then on, on to Rod Stewart. Uh, my cousin Paul, he had that, very naughty single by the Sex Pistols with Friggin' and Riggin' on the That's B right. side. Yeah. So, you know, it was their record collections I was mostly listening to in the day if I was round at their houses. Um, I hadn't actually found my forte in music as of then yeah. because we were too young, you know. We were mostly playing on the backfields on the pylon, making dens, you know, going into Rosewoods, for instance, or up Blakely Golf Course, nicking the golf balls as he swung them over. And then, so from punk, I mean, when punk happened, you are only like 10 or something, weren't you? Well, yeah, I was on the verge of 11-ish, and it's important that, because that's the, the age, really. When your mum starts saying, I'll let you go into town if there's a few of you, where you, you know, where you spends and such like. Yeah. And that's where, really, I found Oasis, the underground market, like places like Record Peddler, yeah. And we'd walk past them, but we were afraid to go in them because we were just little kids and gang of kids hanging about in the Arndale back then. It won't look upon as, you know, a good thing. Or move, you, they move you on the security as such. Yeah. But, you know, we'd all march around there and it became a weekly thing that you go into town. 80 was an, a, quite an inspiring moment for me musically as I remember it because I started to hear, you know, groups like OMD, Electricity, um, Older peers of mine, like Nevin Greg out of Blakely there, had come round and they'd bring a, a cassette player with them and we'd all be there listening to this music. And you just, you know, it was just in a background theme yeah. to our every day in the six weeks holidays yeah. that we'd get on with this, you know, being kids, but at the same time listening to this great music that these older peers are bringing on to, to play for themselves, but ultimately inspiring people like me. Those summer holidays back then were amazing, weren't they? You'd go out on day one, wouldn't you, whenever it started, June, July, whenever it was. You'd go out, you wouldn't come back till the first week of September, <laughs> covered in mud and scabs. <laughs> and it's nice that you brought Nev along, your old mate, as, one of, as yeah. part of your collection. Have you brought him? Oh, well, he's, he's, he's fact one, isn't he? He's fact, fact one, one yeah. in my collection. Well, you mentioned there, Electricity or Orchestral Manoeuvres in the Dark. That was one of the first factory records, which we'll come to. It's ironic, isn't it? It was a Liverpool band, obviously. What were the first gigs that you went to back then? My gig period started with well my old my great old pal Warren Dermody from Northside aka Dermo yeah exactly yeah. yeah and we we met at school at North Manchester uh, he was a mad SLF fan stiff little fingers yeah. mad 
And uh, obviously when I mentioned who I was into, Joy Division, we had a conversation one day walking into school and he said, you know, uh, he hasn't, I was telling that I had the, at the edge in picture cover, seven inch, and he didn't have it in a picture cover. But he told me that he had uh, this uh, unusual transmission single by Joy Division that had like a perforated cover. Mm. And I said, oh, right. I said, well, mine's not got that. It's a bit smooth, mine. And he said, well, you know, we'll do a swap. So next day in school, he brought that, I brought mine. So we did a swap, ended up in his house. The next thing he had me listening to Crassland Discharge. Yeah. You know, th- th- that's how the time just flew then. And he wasn't in Northside then, that was just... Uh, yeah, this was all before the North Northside started. And it was it was quite amazing that that, that happened. And it mm. was, we were all uh, dead proud of the lads when that did happen, you know. So it sounds like, because I was thinking you might have experienced a few music movements and record label stories before you decided oh, this was a good one factory i'll pick up on this one but this is like from out of school having been inspired by the kind of records of talking about buscocks and the early punk stuff and then you suddenly got yourself a, a factory record and that's where it started i didn't realize at the time clint that it was factory it got to about 83 and i had you know songs by omd joy division new order especially because that was my time new yeah, order yeah. i was too young for joy division I always sort of like remember making the connection. You remember the tube? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Friday yeah. night, half past five. In the 83, when that came on, there was one, one night where a group called Juriticolum came on and played with trumpets and saxophones and these, these classical guys who all stood to one side of the stage with Bruce on his percussion and, you know, his drums and, uh, you, you know, Vinny doing his thing and the shirts and the slacks and, you know, all that came together as being it's our period and I'm going, what a great band. And my mate who lived up the street called Fitzy, he phoned me up. Are you watching this band here on? I said, yeah, I'm watching them on the tube now. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks after, ACR's on. Now, I had no prior knowledge about ACR at that time and there's another connection made and then all of a sudden, most of these records I've got in my collection and that I subsequently went on to buy in town were bands on factory records for someone to be your favorite band you would have to say to yourself i've got to like every single record joy division that's me i like every single record they've ever made was it okay living in moston at that time as well yeah he was he used to drive past his house he had a detached house at the end of a row um, next to the girls school and i just learned to drive at the time so i'd shoot down there in my 16 sport escort on and i'd be playing low life as loud as I could with the windows open, hoping to come out in the street and stop me and go, that's my music. And I go, I know we signed this for me. Because <laughs> Oki always inspired me. He was in the enemy a lot and his picture was always black and white. If you remember the enemy back in those days, grainy dark pictures of this guy with this Rickenbacker bass. And I started learning to play the bass at school, mostly to get out of maths, you know. Then my dad got on it when he knew I was being serious and I was going, I want to be like, you know, my inspiration, Pete Hook, and I want one, one of his guitars. We ended up at A1 eventually. Yeah. And I got a K Rickenbacker copy. I was in the bedroom and playing songs to Dermo and the lads, you know, and I'm not saying I'm an instigator of any of that, but it just seems as though I was part of it. Whatever it was, it's the, it's the nice story and it's nice to have been a little part of it back then, isn't it? I've heard you tell this fascinating story about the time you met Ian Curtis's mum, Colin. Tell us how that came about. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm, by trade, I'm a bricklayer. And in the locality where I live now, uh, which is on the border of New Moston, I was asked by uh, a mate of mine who's got a portfolio of properties 
to build a wall for him on Belgrave Road in New Mostyn. And uh, I turned up there and, uh, you know, it's summer and I've got the usual Unknown Pleasures T-shirt on. And I was building this wall and the guy who owned the property turns up. Oh, you're into uh, Joy Division. So I said, yeah, it says it quite clearly there, kid. So he said, uh, his man lives next door. So I'm laying bricks here, my head's down, concentrating on my job. Who's mum? He's, you know, he's four band members, five with Gillian, you know, after, you know, New Order and that. Mm. He says, uh, Ian Curtis's. So he goes, hang on a minute. And he starts walking towards his neighbour's front door. And I went, hey, what are you doing? Because I'm starting to think now this is real. Don't knock on the door. Don't knock on the door like this. It's like a panic setting. I thought, don't go knocking on the door. He knocks on the door and this little old lady turns up, as you'd expect, like your gran, you know, at the front door. And he says, uh, Doreen, tell tell my mate here who, who's your son. And she said, Ian Curtis, out of Joy Division. Wow. And he went, he's his number one fan. Now, he didn't know that. He doesn't know that. He's just sort of like put me on the spot. <laughs> she said, come in for a cup of tea. So I've got a, a mortarboard full of mortar. The trowel's in it. The bricks are surrounding me. I went, okay. I said, well, I'll see you in a bit. So I got in the house. Next salute, she's got a little tea tray with a china cups with two ginger dark chocolate biscuits on. She sits down. <laughs> she's got the radio on. We sat there. And for the next couple of hours, we just talked about Ian Curtis and not so much factory records or anything. She spoke about her son. Yeah. And she said, this was one of, one of the amazing coincidences. My son's called Ricky. Ian Curtis had a dog called Ricky. It's like, what? That's you know, uncanny, Carol and Ian. Yeah. And, taught, you know, subsequently, the yeah, so years went on. I, I made that day, that friendship that I made with, Dor- with Doreen in the house. It was basically, combined. I said, if you ever need a building job doing, ever, you ring me first. You don't ring anybody else, I says. I was unblocking the drains. She had <laughs> squiddles in the loft. <laughs> I was fighting the squiddles, you know. I, 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 it was it, it just, what a journey. You know, I got the lads round to do tarmacking for her. Anything she needed, she'd, come, she'd met me. And I was so humbled to be in the presence of Ian Curtis's mum. And the one thing she always said as well, that Ian had a life before Joy Division. And he was my son. And people and, forget that because they don't see it. There's no, no. no. <clears throat> I mean, she's, one of the last things she ever said, I said, well, I said, why don't you talk to anybody about, you know, Ian and going on radio or anything like that? And she just said, Colin, there's dignity in silence. That's the kind of thing he would have written as well, isn't it? What about the fact that, as a collector, your chosen label, or the label that was sent to you from heaven, it's not just about the music, is it? Because it's the art, or the, the artwork. And I'm, I'm on about the, the mediums as well. I mean, Factory probably the first record label in the world to put out DAT tapes, D-A-T, which he brought some of those with you as well. Yep. As a collector, it's a collector's dream, this, isn't it? Cause it's not just good music. You've got all these beautiful It varies items. so much, yeah. There's so many variations. I mean, for instance, the graveyard and the ballroom cassette yeah. pouch. I mean, when I originally found that, um, I thought there was just one orange version of it with yeah. a single button and a black tape inside. Now, 30-odd years later, I've collected the full 15 Version, all different colours. Because there's one, there's one with a single button, with a grey tape, with a white label. <laughs> then there's a single button with a black tape and the grey label. 
I bet you're hard work in a pub in a drink, aren't you? <laughs> What's it like, Nevin? The, pub? The du- hard work. The double button, again, but with the standard grey tape, but with the eight, a tick. I don't, I'm not correct with that terminology yeah. there, but it's... I mean, Trevor Johnson would tell you that straight away. Yeah, the artist but, uh, designed He probably it. designed it. Yeah. It, that's tr- Trevor's uh, uh, field, wasn't it? This is a particular favourite one of mine here. Uh, Monday, 4th of September, in Spiral Carpets and the Bridewell Taxis at the Hacienda. That was it. What year was that? Was that 80, 88, 89? Uh, I think it was 89. Um, but again, that was gifted to me by a guy who uh, a lot of people have been absolutely on board with this since since I did my first exhibition in 2011. Mm. And I did it for, you know, it wasn't actually a charity for Tony Wilson at Christie's or, or the Christie. I felt that this would be a way forward in honouring Mr. Wilson yeah. for his contribution. And uh, I only needed like one item in the discography, in which was... Um, by a guy called Piers Adams, and will record a sonatas, which was a classical arm of the Thatcher label at the end. But um, yeah, I just felt that it was a way to honour him and do an exhibition, maybe find the extra items that were needed, because uh, there's, there's a lot, hell of a lot of variations with the promos and stuff. I mean, I'll never get Unknown Pleasures, the LP promo album, I mean, if they exist, I should imagine only the band mem- members would have them. Yeah. But as Factory expanded over the years, they did do quite a lot of promos. Like, you know, when Northside came out, they did seven-inch promos of their stuff and such like. And Have you had your collection valued yet, Colin? Uh, I had to have it valued when I did my first exhibition. And uh, I got the guy who owns uh, in Huddersfield came out. He's an acquaintance through... Um, George Davenport, who had the Pandemonium Records back in the day in town and then moved out to Newton Heath. So I got to meet George through one of my brothers, Stephen. Um, he had this massive collection and he allowed me to come in it for three months and look right all the way through it, which I did. And I found 16 missing items, yeah. but in variation. Not what I already had them, but it was like in a cassette single format or such yeah. like. Or with, uh, with an extra button on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with an extra button on, uh, yeah, and a slight colouring in the corner, which is a bit <laughs> offset, yeah. So anyway, uh, he, the the guy who we knew who came in every week, um, Tony came down to my house, and I was asked by, it's a stamp collecting company, I you to insure this stuff. You can't, there's no one insures vinyl records or record collections to boot. You have to go through stamp collecting companies right. um, or insurers or brokers. And I said to him, what's all this worth? And back then, I mean, this is 2011, I've amassed a hell of a lot more than that since then. He said somewhere in the region of 75 grand to replace it. So I've picked all this stuff on car boots over the years and, you know, flea markets. You, you, back in the day, we had no internet there, 2007, it coming to my world till then. Right. You know, that was when my daughter came of age and said, listen, Dad, why don't you have a look on this, this site called eBay? Yeah. And then eventually, you know, some of the, some things fit in, fit together, and bang, you've done it. Have you thought about what's going to happen to the collection when the day you fall off the I've, back of Nev's scooter? It's 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 not stopped. It's not stopped. For the last, well, since 2012, I've lobbied, I've contacted 29 different associations in Manchester. I've had loads of interest, and then when it's been presented by to the panel or what, the meetings they've had, there's no home for this. Is it because of the size of it or because of the... I think it's mainly because the size, because the last exhibition I did at the Ice Plant in 2012 in the May, 
it was all elder with the help of Dave Foden. Um, we basically got together as a group of people in the mindset to get get it out there. So maybe Manchester could do something with it in the future. How much space do you need to display it all? 160 linear metres by six foot six. That's how I displayed it. The Factory Benelux collection, I've even collated all that. And there's 42 items in that, 12-inch singles, LPs, 7-inch singles. So I've even collated that in the last few years. So I've carried right on, you know, and kept kept it going. So there's another 20 square metres. Let's talk about Anthony Wilson. Did you ever get to meet him? No, I never met Tony, unfortunately. Never met him. What do you think of Tony? In hindsight, well, not in hindsight, just in general, what do you think of uh, Tony? What made him such a, an amazing human being? I just held him in such high regard for what he did with something else, you know, on the TV back in the day when he was playing all those those obscure bands that were coming into the scene. Uh, I, I, it's just Mr Wilson. I just hold him in such high regard. Imagine how different my journey could have been if he was here. To help you find all the bits, and he would have done. Not just find the bits, to put it somewhere. Yeah. To get it out there in an exhibit, a permanent exhibit, to be proud in Manchester yeah. to have had this music heritage. It's a good point, that. Well, did we did try for a, a factory number, and we did approach Oliver, and Oliver approached Alan, but they felt that the it was all over with his dad's um, coffin, and that was the last number in the factory discography. Yeah. I think it was 501, wasn't it? I went to the funeral, and the, yeah. the invitation to the funeral is a beautiful thing in itself. Yeah, it? I didn't go. I didn't feel it was my place at the time, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that everybody turned out in the music industry and some of the TV guys as well to pay homage, you know. Yeah. And, uh, we'd go down there now and then to uh, Southern Cemetery, you know, yeah. me, me, me grand's buried there, and we pop in. I always go and have a look at Martin Annett and yeah. Tony. Go and knock on. Yeah, and, you know, Rob. And Do you think we'll ever get another character like Tony Wilson that would do such monumental work I think people are trying to fill his boots like they did with John Peel when he passed away there's too many trying too hard I think it just come it it, it was a different time Clint you were Mm. there Mm. it was a different time for people then he was miles ahead of his time I mean I I remember being in an interview back in 2011 uh, on a, a local online radio station with an old punk called Moe and I, 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 I think I'm right in saying this was a story he told me that back in the day, they used to spit at Tony Wilson when they walked in the uh, Russell Club. I saw him get some grief over the years and he always took it really well, didn't he? What do you think of the um, Manchester spirit? Are you proud to have, have that in you? Because you are very much a Mancunian, aren't you? Well, yeah. I mean, to be a Mancunian, I used to always say you've got to be born in the postcode, but that's changed now. Okay. Because we've become a greater Manchester in the 2000s. Yeah. And there's a lot of people on the periphery who have come in. And when I do go out nowadays into Manchester, I do talk, to, I do ask people like the bar staff, etc. Where are you from? You know, let's have that conversation. Mm. What music are you into? And they're very rarely from Newton Heath and Miles Platin. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're from they're from the Tyne and you know they're from Nottingham and wherever. Yeah. You know, they're coming from Edinburgh, and they want to be part of this this great mix. We're not indigenous anymore. It, you know, we become cosmopolitan. That's one of the really beautiful things that's coming out of these podcasts is that it's not just about Mancunians, it's about people like uh, Graham Parks, Scottish DJ that came and did some amazing work here, and Dave Moutry, who's in charge of the home cinema and theatre complex. 
You know, these are people that, like Tony Walsh, the poet said, people that are born here and people that are drawn here. We were born here, but these people that are drawn here are equally as important to development and the spirit of the city as, as we are. Definitely so. Well, I've, well, if you, if you looked at the demographic on the fat label of the bands, the musicians, where they're from, there's, there's, not, there's not that many from Manchester, not born in the city. Yep. It's right across the board, Blackpool, you know, again, Edinburgh, where, you know, Liverpool even. Yep. They, they all came in. Could you imagine moving away from Manchester? No. But it's that, that kind of place. The people that, that are here, but just we can't imagine being anywhere else. We'll, we'll visit places. We'll go on holidays. We're going to do a little job in London. But God, we like to get back up here. And yeah, all. we can't wait to get up in the morning and see the slate grey skies and the drizzle. Yeah, it does inspire you though, doesn't it? Even on a rainy day, it's like that's all right. I can stay and listen to some tunes. Well, oh <laughs> yeah, you stick them in. You stick your you know your little headphones on, and you're off to you know walking down the canal or wherever up the Rochdale Canal. You can listen to all everything and everything and take it all in. I hope it has a future. For something like this factory collection, you know, it's it's got to be on show. Someone somewhere's got to stand up. And even the people you've been talking about who you've been interviewing in the last few weeks, I mean, if if, you, if a group collective like that, if they got together and just shared what I've got to go out there yeah. in, into the world and people get on it, who knows who could collaborate in the future? And there's enough buildings going up. If you look out the window and see the amount of new, brand yeah. new skyscrapers that have been put up, there's going to be enough wall space to uh, house that incredible collection that you've well, got. Well, i.e. the ice plant. And that's, that had yeah. just gone up that building and the ground floor of it was just completely full of concrete dust. Yeah. And we had a, a crew of about 20 people in there with old Uvers, hoovering it out, making it happen, getting together and uh, putting on an exhibition. And uh, that's what obviously made Factum happen, which were collaborated with Trevor Johnson. And again, that was for Christa. That's what I, I did the majority of the fundraising for. I yeah. mean, over the weekend, people obviously came in and thrown in a few quid in the buckets. Later on, uh, I've got involved with the Forever Manchester charity because they actually put the money up to insure the collection at the ice plant. And they basically uh, f- funded that event as it should be. Yeah. We made all the the electrics come on site, the portaloos, the, the guy, the, the Manchester Eggman, you know, all that stuff. And we made it a great weekend. And I did Manchester Music and M9 Kids for that charity, which is donations that go, go to the charity as and when we sell the copies. And I've still got a few hundred at home. Yeah. So it's out there for everybody to buy on eBay and Amazon. Always charity related what I do. There's people around the world now wondering about the Manchester Eggman. So they paid him to come in for the night to do his famous egg. It's like a Scotch egg or something. I mean, I didn't actually get one because I was too busy being all over the event talking to people. So I never <laughs> tasted this famous egg. But uh, apparently it went down quite well. Yeah, brilliant. Who's your favourite band of all time? Joy Division. Joy Division. Second favourite? I've mentioned the Stockholm Monsters, but, you know, I'd have to go with Magazine. Oh, amazing. Brilliant band. If your house were on fire and you got your missus out first, because you would do, wouldn't you? What would be, you, you can only take one item out of your factory collection, just one item, what would that be? <sighs> and your kids as well, your kids are out of the fire. Well, they're old enough to jump out the window themselves. <laughs> well, they uh, could carry one item each as well. Uh, <laughs> no, one item, what, what's your... What's it's your, a bit difficult. What's the one item? If, 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 if you could only keep one bit of this stuff to... Right, I'd, I'd take the album that Doreen Curtis, Ian's mum, gave me. It's a Perry Como album. Ian used to play it for her, and she gave me that in her house... Uh, after doing a small job for her many years ago. And uh, that's the most sincere thing that's related to, i.e., Factory Records, through Ian Curtis and his mum, that I would probably see as being emotionally attached to. Yeah. 
That's a beautiful thing. Colin, who are your favourite humans of Manchester ever? Past or present? Give us three or four names. Three or four. Mr Wilson. I'd go with Georgie Best. And probably my mate Nevy stuck by me that much. Yeah, I can see him. <laughs> Attached <laughs> at the hip. How many years has that been that you've known him then? Since I was eight years old. Wow. At school. Crossley yeah. Primary in Brakeley. Good effort, that. That's proper friendship, that. And I think you're the first one to mention George Best on these podcasts in the... Uh, what about the final question, Colin? Describe Manchester in three words. Mank and proud. Nice one. Colin Gibbons, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. You're welcome, mate. That was Colin Gibbons. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to philanthropist, charity fundraiser and founder of Runway on the Runway, Margot Cornish. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us, feel free to leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.